From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Right now, business and union leaders are meeting with the government in Canberra and could make decisions that would see big changes to pay and conditions. The Business Council of Australia and Australian Council of Trade Unions have both agreed they want paid parental leave extended from 18 to 26 weeks. But whether that happens, how it happens and how it's paid for are up to the government to figure out and there could be political challenges ahead. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno on the job summit and whether it can deliver. It's Friday, September 2. Paul, we're in the middle of the government's much-touted two-day jobs and skills summit, and in the lead-up to this, people have had all kinds of things to say, that it's a stunt, that it won't make any difference to industrial relations reform. But tell me what the Albanese government says that it's trying to do here. It's my great hope that this Jobs and Skills Summit marks the beginning of a new culture of cooperation, a new focus on working together to deal with the urgent challenges that our economy is facing. The uh, two-day summit, which began on Thursday, is seen by the Albanese government as a first step for industrial relations reform. We have not gathered here to dig deeper trenches on the same old battlefields. Our goal, and indeed our responsibility, all of us, is to carry the conversation to the common ground where the work is done and the progress is made. Big questions on the workplace and jobs, from skills training to immigration, paid parental leave reform and union bargaining power, well, they've all been largely neglected, according to Labor, for almost 10 years of coalition government. The Australian economy is not some abstract concept removed from people's lives. It is about them. Australians, Australian workers are our economy. And the summit is bringing together around 140 delegates, including major business association chiefs, union leaders, but also policy experts, federal and state ministers and representatives of community groups. Anthony Albanese sees this summit as a focal point and a foundation to set the agenda for workers and business. Every Australian holds a stake in the outcome of our discussions. Every Australian deserves our best efforts to seek consensus to achieve progress. Uh, He believes what's good for the workers uh, should also be good for the employers. In fact, it's a guiding light he's followed during his senior political career, and it's allowed him, according to his colleagues, to establish good relations with a range of business leaders. Mm. But that is a real challenge, Paul, isn't it? Because unions and business owners, they don't exactly have the same view when it comes to things like pay, conditions, skills, immigration. And so for this to work, the government needs everyone to not only come to the table, they also need buy-in. They need a commitment that this summit will actually be a genuine process. So have we seen that in the lead-up? Well, Ruby, I think we got an indication from the fact that, for example, on Tuesday morning, Jim Chalmers held a Zoom conference with one set of key stakeholders who were to attend the Jobs and Skills Summit uh, to discuss these issues. That particular morning, he met with the Business Council of Australia. Chalmers, as Treasurer, has had a lot of similar meetings with stakeholders to lay groundwork for this summit. In fact, 
He's lost count of the number of times he's had these personal, if virtual, engagements uh, with Australia's business and other leaders. By Thursday morning, the Business Council and Australian Council of Trade Unions released their shared policies, and they included the need to extend paid parental leave, reform migration skill lists, and set up an authority to support the clean energy transition. Mm. It is interesting that Chalmers has been getting that message from business groups, Paul, because the opposition have largely been ridiculing the summit and calling it a stunt, haven't they? Yeah, that's right, Ruby. Early on after the election, Shadow Treasurer Angus Taylor demanded an invitation, only to be overruled by his leader, Peter Dutton, who dismisses the whole exercise as a stunt, a criticism not shared, interestingly enough, by his coalition partners in the Nationals. I don't intend to let the opportunity go by to prosecute the case for regional rural Australia. I want to actually be pragmatic. I've had my hand out on a number of issues to this government in trying to be constructive in opposition, but I, I will be there to make sure I prosecute that case. And if they don't, I'll go swinging with Peter Dutton. But I... Their leader, David Littleproud, committed to attending and, in fact, like the other non-government politicians who are there, has made sure he's had his say. As much as I'll have to hold my nose, I'm going to take this opportunity with both hands and try to get this government to understand they need to listen to regional Australians, listen to farmers and not just unions. But in particular, it's Liberal hardliners who have not enjoyed watching the warmth in negotiations between employer groups and the unions. Their deputy leader, Susan Lee, in a speech last week, said business groups risked being used as props for Labor's Jobs Summit. It's not good enough for the people that are actually looking for those actions from the government. What's going to happen in my business? What's going to, you know, change in my working environment so that I can actually make use of some initiatives? Well, for their part, some business groups have been unimpressed by this approach from the Liberals. Some in the audience for Lee's speech told government ministers in their pre-summit conflabs they couldn't believe the Liberals decided to sideline themselves from the action. Right. OK. And so with the opposition sidelined then, but unions and business actually at the summit as we speak, what have we seen so far? What kinds of agreements are being reached and could they really change the workplace for people? Well, there has been real movement on industrial relations, gender pay equity, outlawing wage theft, labour hire, fee-free TAFE, and additional university places. These are all big areas of policy covered at the summit. Skill shortages and increased immigration are listed for Friday. Already, though, there's acknowledgement from all sides that more needs to be done to ensure upping the intake is not a substitute for training Australians. And that's a challenge as much for business as all levels of government. And the Treasurer foreshadowed his October budget will be heavily focused on cost-of-living relief, which would also go to meeting job market shortfalls. He's singling out childcare as a game-changer that would enable people to work more and earn more. Well, the budget will have some cost-of-living relief, but it will be familiar to people because it's what we've committed to and announced uh, already. So there'll be cost-of-living relief in childcare, for example, which will be a game-changer for Australian parents. And that raises hopes its start-up date for Labor's childcare subsidies could be brought forward from next July to January, though Social Services Minister Amanda Rishworth 
has worries about not having enough trained early educators ready to meet a dramatic increase in demand sooner. Well, the three major employer and business groups, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the Australian Industry Group, and the Business Council, are now calling for a continuation of strong consultation across the community. They accepted there were clear limits to the breadth of the consultations possible at the summit. But look, uh, Ruby, nobody can pretend it's going to be all harmony and light after the loving at the summit. Uh, real differences and conflicting interests remain and, in fact, are deep-seated, as deep-seated as the challenges Australia is facing when it comes to jobs and wages. But the Prime Minister says, for the first time in a long time, he believes we will be moving to agreement on how to solve these problems rather than arguing who's to blame for them. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Paul, we've been talking about the Jobs Summit, and I suppose the hope is that what comes out of it sets a blueprint for reform. But you're saying that it's not all going to be sunshine and and love-ins after this between business and unions. So how does it seem to you that the government will settle those differences? Let me tell you, putting together an invitation list like this uh, is not the easiest task that we've ever undertaken. Uh, And it's a difficult balance to strike. Well, Chalmers was not expecting the summit to reach total agreement, and that's influenced him not putting out a regular post-summit communique, you know, filled with flowery language. Have we got it perfectly right? Who knows? But we've got a good representative cross-section of the Australian economy and the Australian community, and we can't lose sight of the bigger picture here, uh, which is trying to find some common ground about our big economic challenges. Instead, the Treasurer is opting for a practical outcome. Uh, He's looking to put out two lists. One is a list of immediate actions where there's sufficient common ground, he says, to move forward together immediately, or at least by the end of the year. Then there's a second list where there's sufficient common ground to do more work on the issues. Uh, These might then inform what he puts in his October budget or in the employment white paper. But, Ruby, it will be a long road ahead, and business groups flagged that they believe discussions after the summit could be even more crucial than what's being said in the room now to address the outstanding issues on the agenda. Well, something Albanese knows all too well, and he's keen to keep these discussions going. Mm. And, Paul, of course, it's all well and good what the summit comes up with, but 
if we're going to see change on the gender pay gap or on wage theft, then we're going to need to see legislation, aren't we? And for the government, that means either coming to some sort of deal with the opposition or negotiating with the crossbench and the Greens, doesn't it? (laughs) Quite right. And uh, the first to remind everyone of that is uh, Greens leader Adam Bant. Uh, He says whatever is put to the parliament will need their support in the Senate. And he says the Greens won't be a rubber stamp for government side deals with big corporations. And Ruby, Bant goes uh, further, saying when any proposals hit the Senate, the Greens will push to change the law to guarantee wage rises. We are in an inequality and a wages crisis at the moment, and uh, the cost of living is going up and wages aren't, and it is particularly hitting the uh, people who work in low-paid areas, and that is in many instances predominantly women. He says the government should treat low wages, especially in the care economy, as urgently as they're treating skills shortages. But Labor sees Bant's ultimatum here as uh, grandstanding. The care economy is dominated by female workers, and the government, besides committing to gender pay equity, has already signalled it's up for higher wages for those in aged care. And Albanese's well aware if the Fair Work Commission grants rises, his government will be called on to foot the bill. Uh, you know, it'll be yet another impost on the already heavily indebted budget. Yeah, we know that the budget is in need of repair, Paul, and Jim Chalmers has foreshadowed that Labor's going to have to claw back money somewhere. If the Labor government is going to spend money in the form of wage rises or investment in skills training, then it will have to find a way to pay for it. And there have been a lot of questions this week about whether the smartest way to deal with it would be to cancel the Stage 3 tax cuts legislated by the former government but still not implemented. Isn't that the simplest solution for Labor's budget challenges? So, Ruby, these tax cuts to personal income are scheduled to start in the 2023-24 financial year and they'll cost the budget $243 billion over the decade after they're introduced. It is an eye-watering figure and could go a long way to help Labor make inroads paying the trillion dollars in debt they've inherited. But Albanese is resisting any change to his pre-election promise not to cancel them. Labor did try to scrap Stage 3 in 2019, but when their amendments went down, it reluctantly voted for all three stages. But the pressure to scrap them is building exponentially. Parliamentary Budget Office analysis for the Greens found that the richest 1% of Australians will get as much benefit from the Stage 3 tax cuts as the poorest 65% combined. Nobody earning under $45,000 will get any relief, while those earning $200,000 or more will get a $9,000 sugar hit. So, 40% of taxpayers will miss out. That's millions of voters whose anger is sure to be stirred up by the welfare lobby, the Greens, and the high-profile independents. You know, as political booby traps go, Scott Morrison couldn't have set a more lethal one. But there will be pressure on the libs over this too. Though, Ruby, as the saying goes in politics, as indeed in life, always put your money on the horse called self-interest. 
Paul, thank you so much for your time. Giddy up, I'm out of here. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, during the first day of the Jobs and Skills Summit, the Labor government committed to changing the Fair Work Act. Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke announced the government's intention to immediately move towards ensuring stronger access to flexible working arrangements and unpaid parental leave, as well as stronger protections against adverse action, harassment and discrimination. And former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was met with student protesters at the University of Sydney yesterday after appearing to give a speech at the law school. According to student media, the in-person speech was cancelled and moved online. 7am is a daily show from the monthly and the Saturday paper. It's produced by Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Alex Gow, Alex Tai and Zoltan Fetcho. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week. <laughs>